0: Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.
1: And will you pray with me? Divine love, religious illusion often masks the reality of our lives. Help us to see ourselves and our situations as they are. Messy, difficult, mysterious, and wonderfully human. Amen. And please be seated. This morning, we are going to conclude our summer sermon series titled The Five Scrolls, traditionally known as the Megaloth, by considering the Jewish Feast of Booths and its connection to the book of Ecclesiastes. As we've been sharing throughout this series, it was tradition for the five scrolls to be read during Israel's annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem to attend four feasts and one fast. At these feasts and fast, the Jewish people gathered from all of the villages of Palestine to remember who they were, to find motivation for their lives of faith, and to orient their lives in God, who is love which, as we've said throughout this series, is a lot like the function of church. And it's our hope for this series this summer. To more deeply remember who we are, to find motivation for continuing our lives of faith, and to orient our lives in God, who is love. The Feast of Booths was Israel's annual culminating festival of the year. It was the festival that kind of brought an end to the entire cycle of 12 months. As we heard read from Leviticus 23 earlier in our service, on the 15th day of the seventh month, they were to gather their produce in the land. God said, you shall keep the festival of the Lord lasting seven days. On the first day, you shall take the fruit of the majestic trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall live in booths for seven days. All that are citizens in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Kind of reminds me of like a a church retreat where everybody goes to the coast and they sleep in tents. It's a beautiful festival. It's a festival of thanksgiving for the produce. Thank you, God, for this bounty. Thank you, God, for these crops. Thank you for this provision. Ah, how good it is to intentionally give thanks to be marked as a people of thanksgiving. In fact, studies have shown that intentional gratitude actually increases happiness. A possible theory for this is that gratitude moves people to more regularly experience positive emotions. Perhaps this is why G.K. Chesterton, uh, the prolific writer, poet, and philosopher once wrote, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought. And that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. I love that last line. Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. But it's more than just happiness. And this is backed up by science. Researchers in psychology have found that gratitude and happiness are strongly correlated. Because gratitude moves people to experience more positive emotions. Also, gratitude moves people to more thoroughly enjoy the good experiences that they've previously had. And so to reflect, to be grateful, to give thanks is actually to rehearse, to relive a previous moment of good in our lives. And this in turn studies reveal betters health, increases our ability to face adversity, and it nurtures the potential to develop and maintain relationships of strength, which all result in being happier human beings. Who could use an extra dose of happiness today? (laughs) Yeah, I could use some happiness. Back in 2019, the poet Ross Gay spent an entire year attempting to write about his daily gratitudes in a book titled The Book of Delights. In his final entry, Gay writes, A tiny bee alighting in the gully between my knuckles a hummingbird hovering close enough to fill my left ear with wind. A very sweet hello from the woman's stocking shelves, rubbing her eye with her fist and smiling. A hard but loving workout. A nap as light as a light rain came down swaying the blinds. An early evening cup of good coffee. The hiding moon lighting up a cataract of clouds. And two cards, one with a glittering butterfly and one with a woodchuck eating pizza in tidy whities <laughs> And a handwritten letter in which my friend explained that delight means out from light and is etymologically connected to delicious and to delectable, which I did not know despite this past year turning and turning delight over, which connects delight also to cultivation, which can make a garden. Isn't that beautiful? Israel expressed their gratitude annually at the Feast of Booths. The psalmist extolled, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Ross Gay declared the word delight means out from light, and it's etymologically connected to other words such as delicious and delectable. And the science reveals that gratitude positively impacts emotions, betters health, and nurtures the potential for strong relationships. Perhaps we'd benefit by cultivating an annual or a monthly or a weekly or a daily, perhaps even a moment-by-moment practice in which we as human beings pause to quietly murmur from our deepest parts, thank you. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for this show. Can we give thanks for shows, especially during COVID? Thank you for this child. Thank you for this work. Thank you for this sip of wine. Thank you for this breath thank you for this life that is mine for it is confusing but altogether astonishing thank you as the poet jared anderson writes in his poem holy let nature be your church let the trees be your temple let each nourishing breath be your sacred vow let the shared spark of life be your holy order and If there is one prayer you can whisper into the ear of the world, let it be, thank you. Thank you. Now, besides intentional gratitude, the festival of booths also had a second purpose. As we heard from the last portion of Leviticus 23, you shall live in booths for seven days. All that are citizens in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I really like this. It seems to me wonderfully wise and good. Like, for the past few weeks, we've been noting how in the Bible and throughout human history, oppressed humans who find themselves liberated quickly forget about their past oppression. And so ironically, over time, the liberated tend to slowly become the empire, slowly become the oppressors in our world. But what if we had an annual feast or holiday that helped us to remember where we've come from? Like, unless you are indigenous, either you or some of your relatives walked here or floated here or flew here or were horrifyingly forced here. And over time here, this place in which we all live became what we now refer to as home. Home. Which is to recognize that our ancestors went through extraordinary circumstances in order to find and make a home here. How good, how good to remember our ancestors went through extraordinary circumstances in order to make a home, here. How good to remember our ancestors went through extraordinary circumstances in order to make a home, here. Say it often enough and it actually begins to work its way into your heart it perhaps even begins to open your heart and soften your heart toward those today who are going through extraordinary circumstances to try and make a home here. You see, the Feast of Booths, all about gratitude, nurtured joy in the life of Israel. And the Feast of Booths, all about remembrance. We once had no home, but we've now made a home. We once had no land, but we've now made land and built homes It nurtured hospitality, or at least it was supposed to. This remembrance of life in booths in the wilderness was meant to nurture hospitality in the heart of Israel. That's what this annual Feast of Booths intended to rouse inside of Israel's collective heart, thanksgiving and generous hospitality. And about hospitality, it makes me think of spiral dynamics. You probably didn't see that coming. Spiral dynamics is a model of the evolutionary development of individuals and societies. That is to say that it intends to illuminate a developmental process that is both societal and personally individual. According to spiral dynamics, there are six primary colors of development. I'm going to briefly go through them and try to attach them to our lives. Uh, Six primary colors of development. A child and a society, Spiral Dynamics tells us, begins in beige, which is all about survival. And so think of a baby who screams for food in the middle of the night. Parents, gonna get an amen? Right? This is beige. This is survival. Next in development is the color purple, which is all about mythological storytelling that orients a child or a society to the world that they are now waking to. Think of stories like Christmas or Easter or the Fairy Godmother or the Tooth Fairy or thinking of religious or nationalistic storytelling. This all occurs in this purple phase of development. Next is red, which is all about tribal power, tribal power. Think of a whole bunch of junior hires attempting identity in the world, right? I am a jock. I am in band. I am in drama. I am in leadership. I am, right, I am, I am. We are, we are a tribe. Together we stand strong. Then there's blue, which is all about truth and moralism. Now we're beginning to think of religion. We enter into the land of fundamentalism, right and wrong, the binary, good and bad. And then there's orange, which is about drive and achieving. So if we continue to think in terms of religion, perhaps we begin to think of evangelicalism, which is about growing and saving, growing and saving, learning all of the right things and helping everybody around us to learn those same things. And then there's green, which transcends drive and achieving in order to focus on the sociocentric, also known as the human bond. In this color, our connectedness, the collective good begins to eclipse our concern for the blue moralism or the orange achieving and saving. Now why did I tell you all of this? And what exactly does spiral dynamics have to do with the feast of booths? Well, remember that the booths function to remind Israel of their collective past which had the effect of helping them to be a more hospitable people in the world, for they too recalled that they were once oppressed. Similarly, we as humans are often progressing developmentally. That is to say, many of us have moved in our lives from beige to purple to red to to blue and so on. And can you guess who we have the most trouble compassionately engaging in life? Can anyone take a guess? According to the theory of spiral dynamics, we have the most trouble dealing with those who are one color behind us. One color behind us. Why? Well, developmentally speaking, we have the most trouble feeling compassion for ourselves at our previous stage. It's very tender, right? Like once you wake up to something new and you see it all differently, you feel a little bit of embarrassment and a little bit of shame and a little bit of tenderness related to your past color. And so when we engage people in our previous color, whoo, It triggers some stuff inside of us like let's say that you are now green your highest value is the human bond our collective life together has become much more important to you than orange which was all about self-growth and saving others by helping them to grow just as you've learned to grow or to put this in religious language let's say that you once thought like an evangelical but you've progressed Beyond that way of seeing the world. Well, according to spiral dynamics, you would have a very difficult time, quite possibly the most difficult time, accessing compassion and understanding for your previous framework in the world. And this, I think, is where the Feast of Booths comes in. We are all progressing. At one point, we all lived in booths of beige, at one point, we all lived in booths of purple. At one point, we all lived in booths of red and booths of blue, and I think that intentionally remembering our past developmental booths could be deeply good for our lives. Like, it could encourage us to remember that we are dynamic, growing, changing, developing humans. And perhaps this self-encouragement could help us to be generous and kind toward those in another color especially in a color that we've most recently grown up out of. For if it was possible for us, it is possible for others. You see, our own growth can be a reminder that others, too, can grow. Now, before moving on from spiral dynamics, I'd like to share two findings within spiral dynamics. First, spiral dynamics is clear to note that there is no one way that humans change colors. Human development is a confluence of, of all kinds of things, like time and talk and song and art. Like, like, try to explain to somebody how you got to where you are today. Try to concisely explain that. And then try to demand that that's the path for every other human being, right? It's just too messy to do that. All of these things work together in a way that causes a fundamental shift in how we see it all. To use Jesus' language with Nicodemus, there is no one path toward being born again and again and again. What this means is that we cannot fabricate our own development or the development of others. And second, spiral dynamics is clear to note that we cannot force any person to change colors. How many of you have friends or family that you would just love for them to shift colors? Like they're seeing it all one way and you just want to pick them up and place them down in a new color, right? Wouldn't that be so good? As much as we may want loved ones or friends to grow and change with us, we cannot force it. In fact, to try and force a non-wobbling color would be kind of like an act of violence toward another person. Because for now, that color that that person finds themselves in is working for them. If it wasn't working, their color would be wobbling. So it's actually working for them. It grounds them and tethers them in reality, their reality in this world. For now, the color is working until it isn't. And this is the beauty of Spiral Dynamics. When it isn't working anymore, when a person's way of seeing it all begins to wobble, well, it's then that Spiral Dynamics says that a person can be assisted in their transition to the next developmental stage. What this means is that we can long for human development, but we can't force it. What this means is that we can recall our own development, which maybe can help us to hold others in compassion, allowing them to be exactly where they are until something begins to shift, at which point the glory and goodness of transformation becomes possible once again. And to be clear, I'm not saying that we should just let oppression and violence go unchecked. I'm not not saying that. But what I am saying, my hope here is that this developmental theory might help us to hold less rage and consternation in our tired hearts, resulting in more compassion for where people are coming from, all the while holding immense hope for all that people can become. For we ourselves are booths of development if we just allow ourselves to remember our own journeys of growth and transformation. See, your own journey is your internal hope for everything. That's the goodness of transformation. Now, during the Feast of Booze, it was tradition in Israel to read the book of Ecclesiastes. Think of that, Ecclesiastes. So a book that begins, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. The Hebrew word for meaningless could also be translated vapor. Vapor, vapor, utterly vapor. Everything is vapor. And so says Ecclesiastes the sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Round and round the wind goes on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is never filled with hearing. What has been will be, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them." And so, because of this, the teacher in Ecclesiastes advises throughout the book, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow is promised to no one. Raise your hand if you felt the wisdom of these words over the past few years. Like, what does it even matter? This life doesn't make sense. And even worse, everything seems to be going backwards. Amen? Might as well enjoy today as best I can which very often feels like human resignation. Anyone wrestle with resignation on and off over the past few years? Yeah, me too. And it's for this reason that I think there's a lot of wisdom in reading Ecclesiastes during the Feast of Booths. Like, like on, on the one extreme, you have this feast that recalls the past and celebrates human growth that has led to today transformation and change and new things and on the other extreme you have this book that reminds us you cannot always make sense of today you can't even control how we get here and in between these two extremities of sense and senselessness is life this one life this one mysterious sensational life that ebbs and flows sometimes forward and sometimes backward but slowly over time is advancing color by color, booth by booth, as we humans develop more and more into the love that is God. Pearl Church, we are living in a time that feels utterly meaningless. And so, sure, enjoy today as best you can. Enjoy the little moments and savor the simple goodness. Bake some bread. Bake some bread. And let us not forget that it is not all meaningless. We are part of a human legacy that proves our ability to transform and evolve and develop. And so perhaps today's darkness is something more than mere meaningless darkness. Perhaps today's darkness is the wobbling of colors, foreshadowing human development at hand. Or to use Jesus' language, perhaps this is a wobbling of color that shows the kingdom of heaven more at hand. Perhaps uh, this trajectory of human life actually is slowly, slowly getting a little bit better day by day. May it be so and let us pray. Divine love, religious illusion often masks the reality of our lives. Help us to see ourselves and our situations as they are, messy and difficult and mysterious. And in the midst of all that we're reading and all that we're seeing, in the midst of it all, please remind us that humans are are indeed full of potential. And I pray and ask that your spirit would be hovering over today's chaos, dreaming of making all things new, even our own lives.